The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts, our callers, and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of the society, its management, or our advertisers. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Welcome to Sam Sense, the show that dives deep into the fascinating world of management. I'm one of your hosts, Allie, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this journey of exploration and discovery. In each episode, we'll unravel complexities, share thought-provoking insights, and engage in captivating conversations with experts and enthusiasts in the management realm. This podcast is designed to both educate and entertain. Joined with me today are my co-hosts, Patrick, Hank, Wesley, and guest host, Sandy Zelko. Welcome to our podcast. In today's episode, we delve into the groundbreaking world of Frederick Taylor and his revolutionary concept of scientific management. Join us as we explore how Taylor's innovative ideas transform the way we think about work, productivity, and organizational efficiency. Okay, so first of all, I think um, we always have our regular disclaimer um, up at the front of the show, but uh, I think we got to do a secondary disclaimer here. All right, we're here today to really just talk about Frederick Taylor, his ideas, and his, and some of this, the revolutionary concepts that he had come up with at the time. We're not here as a trying to be a comprehensive overlook or do this long-term historical analysis or or engage in pres- presentism. We're just here to just have a a free-flowing discussion about some of the ideas. And the way that we're going to do this this week is um, we have our special guest, Dr. Sandy Zelko, with us, um, who will add some additional insights as a Taylor expert. And uh, what Patrick is going to do is he's going to throw out some, uh, basically, we'll call them, let's call call it something fun. How about Freddy Facts? Freddy Facts. Freddy Facts. Freddy Facts. Freddy Facts. It's like... (laughs) Like a fax machine is what comes to mind. I thought I was supposed to be the yes. yes you I thought I was supposed to be so, the young boy. So back the in show. the day, we used to we used to put <laughs> no. out paper inside inside the computer, and, the, and it would come out the other end. But it would go over the telephone line to come out at the other end. Yes. <laughs> oh Lordy, those were the days of management. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Actually, it's funny. Very, very, very funny story. So when I was working um, for – at the time, it was a Fortune 500 company. We had brought in a college intern. And, and like, fax machines were were relatively a new thing. And I said to her, can you please go and fax this over to, you know, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. No problem. Right? So I send her to go do it. About an hour and a half later, I'm like – She's been gone for an hour and a half. What the heck? So I go and I find her, and she's still sitting at the fax machine. I'm like, what's going on? She goes, well, I keep putting the paper in, but it keeps coming back out, so I have to keep putting it back in. (laughs) No. Yes. No. I wonder what the other end was thinking. Like, oh, my God. It just keeps coming. Piece of paper. Over and over again. Yes. You know, and that story, there's probably like about half of, only probably about half of the dozen people who listen to our podcast will understand, one, what a fax machine is. (laughs) Yep. And two, understand why that was really, really funny. Exactly. That's great. I love that. All right. All right. Enough. So, 
Freddy fact. Freddy fact. Freddy All fact. right, what's our first not, Freddy fact? Not there? to be confused with a fax machine. Yes. <laughs> okay, so just some brief, uh, some brief life history of uh, our good man Frederick Taylor. Uh, he was born in 1856, the child of a machine shop laborer, who then went into being a machine shop laborer himself, and then was the chief engineer at the Midvale Steel Mill in Pennsylvania. Uh, at the age of 25, he won the national doubles championship in tennis. There's a random fact for all of you. Huh. Oh, doubles. doubles. Today wow. it would be pickleball. Yes. <laughs> Very I, true. I feel really underaccomplished at 25. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, so during that time, he uh, introduced a time study principle at the Midvale plant where he was located uh, and then studied at night and earned a degree in mechanical engineering from the Stevens Institute of Technology in 1883. Wow. So, so um, you said time study, right? Time studies. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Zelko, could you share with us just <laughs> your insight on what, what exactly is a time study? And is, is, are they being still used today? They're still used today, but they're called time and motion studies or time motion studies. So even though two sets of researchers, and they did know each other, it was uh Frederick Taylor, who developed time studies, and what he was doing was trying to find the most efficient um, way um, or amount of time that it took a worker to do his job and the tasks associated with the job, and was actually used to set wage rates for that particular job. And then um, there was a couple, last name was Gilbreth, and as Patrick will fill us in on as well, and from his historical point of view, and Sam, uh, one of our awards was also named after Gilbreth, and she and her husband were doing motion studies, and that was uh, figuring out how to most efficiently break down a task and count the amount or number of emotion, motions, motion, motions that it took the, um, a worker to do their work. And so they combined the two, and that's how we get time motion studies, and that really became uh, the great movement in the uh, industrial engineering um, in order to make um, factory work more efficient. So. Oh, awesome. So I, I guess for, for those of you, who, uh, I guess, so basically Frederick Taylor would be a TikTok guy and not a Facebook guy. Would that be accurate? I'm not sure I would put it that way, but okay, yeah. Do, do you understand what it means to be a TikTok guy? I mean, I just, I'm just curious. Well, he didn't call it TikTok this morning. What was it? It was tick, uh, talk. Talk tick, tick probably. Talk that tick, wouldn't surprise I think he me. He said this morning, so he's. You're very new. Yeah. Social media presence. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no. I actually, quite to the contrary. I have a booming social media. Oh. Yeah, I have a whole ten followers on my YouTube channel. Wow. Oh. Wow. Yeah. 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 I get I get a penny a month. Call the newspaper. Wow. Yeah, in revenue. Yeah, for sure. And did they stumble upon that by accident? Were they forced to follow you? Or I, I may I may <laughs> all of his other accounts. <laughs> oh, okay. That's that's how that happened. Ten separate emails. That's, set that's up. what happened. <laughs> that may be true. <laughs> that. that I, I will, I, I will, I will not lie. But um, um, really interesting, though, when you think about um, efficiency, right? Um, it, and it goes hand in hand with effectiveness. And I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Dr. Zelko, but I, I really think we sometimes in today's world overemphasize efficiency. In, in, and disregard the effectiveness, like because all of our metrics are based on quantitative analysis, and it's like, oh, so you're doing this task this fast, 
but it might not be the right task. Exactly. Are you guys experiencing that as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think where we start to see some of that collision, I mean, first of all, there's been a lot of change in industry over the last few years, right? COVID was a massive disruptor for really the entire world. Um, a lot of things have changed since then. And I think we're really starting to see this emergence of a worker who is very, very involved in their day to day, right? They're involved in everything from the decision of where they work, how long they work, what their hours are uh, compared to the company. These are the kind of decisions that these workers are trying to make. And of course, that ultimately plays into effectiveness and efficiency. Uh, And that has really stemmed from a change that we've seen since COVID. I mean, we didn't see that nearly as prominently in 2019, 2018. uh, But since 2020, I've really noticed uh, how important that is to, to workers and ultimately what that translates to in outcomes for the business. So uh, I'm definitely seeing, you know, what you're describing there. Well, speaking of a change in industry, um, one of the things that's really interesting about Taylor's work uh, is that it was all done in studies over long periods of time. So his, um, one of his biggest studies that he did was the art of cutting metal uh, because he was a machine shop uh, supervisor. It took 26 years and 50,000 experiments for him to draw his conclusions and publish those findings together. I can't imagine anything in recent memory that has had a sample size in management philosophies or or any kind of change that has a 50,000 experiment data point set or taken results over 26 years of one singular industry that where the person that has been doing the study has done them for that long of a period of time. And I think you hit it on the head though, Patrick, because he was perfect for doing those studies in that field because he had experience as a laborer, as a worker. So he was on those machines, he knew how they worked, he knew how to do the job itself. And that's what he actually carried into his research. He knew that workers knew the job better than anyone else. And the problem with that, the result was you had managers who, again, that was a new class of of worker in in, um, management in organizations. And what happened was, this was not his intention, but uh, people, managers realized that they don't know how to do the job. And so unfortunately, when a worker gave that knowledge up to a supervisor, now they've lost control. And that manager knows the infinite details of what goes into that job. And instead of appreciating the worker for that and understanding the complexity of how he does his job, that was taken out of the worker's hands. And now management wanted to control. And so there we get into control theory. Um, And yes, we've used it in a better way when we talk about Six Sigma and things like that, because yes, we're still trying to make it effective and efficient. But when you just started out with efficiency, um, there are criticizers of of, uh, Taylor who said that he basically set the worker up for being a disposable element or just another tool um, at the manager's mercy and an irreplaceable tool at that. And and I don't think that was Taylor's heart, though, at all, because Taylor, like the whole 
basis of his theory, one of it revolves around let the company make more profit because people are more efficient and then share that profit back. Yeah, and he said, find the right person for the right job and pay him well. That's what he wanted. That's what his philosophy was at the beginning. But you do read a lot of stuff out there now, and it's been being written since the 1980s that I think takes it out of context. And what they're doing is rewriting Taylor. Uh, and you have to remember, again, go back to his roots. If you really want to talk about labor and the importance of really giving workers rights, he was a worker. So he understands that better than a lot of the commentators uh, that get into this today. Yeah, I don't think anyone who's criticizing him has done 26,000 experiment, uh, 20 experiments over 26 years. I'm just going to go out on a limb. Yeah. I would be curious to know what he, what he would think today uh, of today's workforce. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've seen a lot of evolution from what work was you know, a very long time ago where maybe you worked for the family or you worked on the family enterprise and, and you conducted very localized transactions to through the industrial age, you saw that evolution through really where, where Taylor's major contributions were. And then the world has continued to shift as we see offshoring and uh, you know, drastic changes in technology. And now today, in a post-COVID world, we're in a completely different environment where uh, many workers are specializing in talents that are very computational. They're very knowledge-based uh, and less so in a um, in a physical presence or, or something of that nature, right? You're not necessarily working on a farm. We have large equipment that's being powered by computers and stuff that does that. So it, it's very interesting to see the evolution of that and how individualism plays into that and what he would think of you know the current role uh, of a job in, in today's sense. It's just very interesting. I was thinking about that as you were describing that. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, well, one, I'm just thinking of a company like Zappos, right? Zappos is known for their customer service and they have these records for like longest time that you've been on the phone with a customer like I was on the phone with the customer for 24 plus hours talking about this I think Frederick Trailer would find that insane yes. um, from a business perspective but at the same time, the reason that Zappos works is because of that. So right. I, 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 I would think you'd have a very – I think you'd have some mixed emotions mm. about how we're, we're, we're thinking about things. Right. Um, and, you know, back in those days, I mean, what was the main – the main industry was manufacturing. There was – like the thought of customer service in 1910, probably non-existent. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I think, too, it's interesting how we've, we've kind of come back to some of those ideals as we start to think about employees and the challenges we're having with our current workforce. And many professionals think that the solution might be really to go back to some of those initial thoughts and, and some of those initial um, reactions from the thought leaders of that time is really how do we value you as an individual? How do we evaluate you and how do we reward you based on um, you know how that is structured within our individual company or as an industry as a whole, which I think is very smart because it gives us an opportunity to be competitive in a global environment, but also in an environment that is very different today 
than what it was just a few years ago when folks may be changing jobs for the first time in just a few years. They may be moving to entirely new industries or entirely new careers uh, from something that is very different from what they were doing a few years ago. I mean, we've, we've certainly seen that. People transitioning from, uh, you know, a, a job maybe in, um, you know, something outside of what they have their degree in or, you know, something of that nature from where they've been comfortable for 10, 15 years. Um, so it's really interesting to see and, and think about it in the lens of what would Frederick Taylor think about this today. Mm -hmm. So definitely, definitely something that is, is interesting to think about. Yeah, I think nowadays it's crazy that a lot of people are pulling in quote-unquote experts that aren't really experts to be putting in these, you know, rules and um, procedures on how to do certain steps when in reality the people who are actually doing it should be the ones you shouldn't be outsourcing to try and create these steps. You should be taking the person who's in that job every single day and doing it day to day because they'll know what doesn't work and what does work. And I feel like that's really been lost. Um, taking like pre-authorizations in the medical insurance industry. Like if you get hurt, you hurt your back, they're not going to, insurance isn't going to approve you for an MRI. There's those step therapies where it's like, you need to go to physical therapy for at least six weeks because that's going to be most efficient. Well, most of the time it's not. They just don't want to pay for the MRI. So they want you to quote unquote, try physical therapy. When in reality, everyone who goes through that physical therapy phase is eventually going to get that MRI. So they're just costing themselves more money. Mm -hmm. It's I think he he would might he might be rolling over in his grave looking at the workforce now. <laughs> specifically in healthcare. Specifically in healthcare. Wow. And that's healthcare really just one United of the <laughs> yeah. one of the main things that comes to mind, but there's so many different industries like that where mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of the Grey's Anatomy episode where they bring in that head honcho for specific things to like call in, but they're like, people are dying. Like, we can't do it this way. And it's just, it's across the entire industry, medical, corporate, like people think they're experts when in reality they haven't been in the position where they can say they're experts. I have a story. My father, um, he, he, to give you some perspective, he was born in 1927. So uh, he, um, he worked in a factory, and he was a factory machinist. And they had this ongoing joke because the uh, factory would hire engineers that came from college, and they were brand new engineers. And, but they studied and they have book knowledge. And so they would play around with these guys when they would get there because the machines um, needed repairs as you were working on them. And so a machinist would make those um, changes to that machine to make it more efficient So because he had to do it. And he was responsible for the output of that machine. And he didn't tell people what kind of changes he was making. They were tinkerers as well. Mm -hmm. So even though they were uneducated, they knew that machine. They worked on that machine. And they, they did things by um, their own method. Uh, so there wasn't, so they would bring these engineers in and they said, well, this machine doesn't seem to be working um, the way that it's set. And so he would take the manual out and they would kind of chuckle and laugh and sit there and take a break and watch this kid um, who would, for the life of them, couldn't understand why the machine parts didn't line up with what was in the manual. And they would let him continue to scratch his head because the one thing he didn't do was talk to them and mm -hmm. treat them as if they were, in that particular situation, they were the expert. And any book knowledge that he brought with him was not going to help him to, to do that. Now, fast forward, I went to um, a 
I did get a management degree and a sociology degree from an engineering school. You scratch your head on that one. <laughs> um, but we had at one point, I remember um, the uh, engineering companies that would come and hire those engineers said, we don't want to hire as many undergraduate engineering majors. We would like you to put them through your MBA program. So we'll take all of the engineers that we can get from you if they have an, a management uh, degree. Because what we want them to understand how to do is to make people work more efficiently and effectively. And the engineering, engineers that we're getting right now don't seem to understand that world. And Taylor would have agreed with them because mm -hmm. he knew it was about motivating people. Now, given the time that he lived in, they really did still think that m motivation was pay. And for a lot of people it was because they were really just trying to survive. Um, and let's not forget that during the time Taylor was working on his studies, um, Elton Mayo from the Hawthorne studies, he mm -hmm. was doing the same, uh, well, he was doing experiments at Westinghouse Electric and that's when they stumbled upon um, the uh, phenomenon of workers changing their behavior based on people paying attention to them. Mm -hmm. That in itself led to the entire field of human relations that, that we know today. And so those guys were hanging out. Those guys were talking. Um, and I don't, I, again, I think what we have from probably the 1930s through the 1960s, and even today, some companies still, what we see when we, we see these um, breakdowns in factory type of work and terrible conditions, that's what we can call extreme Taylorism. It's taking a philosophy, taking it out of context, taking what you think um, you're gonna use with it and leaving out all of the other things that, that he said, that if they had followed, they would have appreciated the human part of the human uh, relations. We are we are rejoining the podcast here. For those of you who are following us on TikTok, you will see the heated debate that we just spent two hours going over on the correct way and how Frederick Taylor would eat a banana. Um, so please go to our TikTok channel um, and check out how Frederick Taylor would eat a banana and comment. And please tell me that I'm right because you're Wesley not, is clearly right. wrong. You're, you're wrong, Hank. <laughs> sir. It's, no. Sir. No. No. Yes. Yes, Frederick it is about Taylor. efficiency and effectiveness. My method of eating the banana is efficient and effective. You yours is peel. yours is savage, unproductive, <laughs> and quite <laughs> frankly, sir, disrespectful to the banana community. And Frederick Taylor. And all Frederick right. Taylor himself. And on that note. <laughs> all right, all right. One more Freddie Taylor fact. The executive producer is ragging us in. One more Freddie fact. Our last Freddie fact is um, that uh, Frederick Taylor's book, the Principles of Scientific Management, uh, printed in 1911, was elected as the most influential management book of the 20th century by the American Fellows of the Academy of Management. No, that, that's quite impressive. You know, um, just thinking about management books in general um, in the 20th century, you know, obviously Frederick Taylor's comes to mind. Um, Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People comes to mind. Senge's Fifth Discipline comes comes to mind as really kind of seminal books. But when you when you strip it away, I think that's a really fair judgment. Uh, I mean, everything that we do today, I, I can't think of a business that has been successful that has rejected any of Taylor's principles. I, I just simply can't. I don't know if anyone else can. I, I can't. 
What I do find interesting there, though, is we're talking about the era before Amazon, right? We're talking about the era of, of analytics that were very different um, than what we have today, where, you know, it seems like almost every book is a bestseller or every book, you know, is receiving some sort of nomination. So this is really quite the accomplishment, I think, really speaks to uh, the devotion and the time spent in the research and, and the presentation of that research and how it was used and implemented in businesses really, uh, I mean, ultimately worldwide. So it's, it's quite the accomplishment. Well, it was also moved into being um, part of curriculum for management education as a whole. Mm-hmm. It was a major component of the Harvard Business School uh, management you know, program that they developed where they touted that the Taylor system of management was the end-all be-all of how you should relate to your employees and make them happy in order to have them be productive was to simplify their jobs and make them, you know, as widget-friendly replaceable as they could be. And then, you know, that leads back into the other discussion that we had where those people were... uh, using the system in a way it was not necessarily intended to be so that instead of it being a more holistic approach on generating profit and revenue in your business unit, it was used in a way to exploit mm-hmm. the worker and drive down their unique and individual uh, contributions to the overall product lines that were being generated for you know the consumer aspect of things. So it's definitely interesting that that book still today has heavy ties into what realistically we teach in classes about management, how we connect employees and their workloads and how their you know job descriptions are are outset into you know task related oriented things that have times that are associated with them so i'd say one one more thing though is um go back and read it yourself Mm -hmm. go back to the original work and see what it says and not relying on the commentation that's come after it um, talking about it and then you can better understand and be able to sift through those who got them right and those who did not um, find out for yourself and i think that's kind of a lesson for life in general it is absolutely. go to the source go to the source we don't do that enough nowadays absolutely form your own opinions right well um again our executive producer is giving us that uh knock on the glass pane here so it's time for us to uh to bid you adieu but before we do uh (laughs) dr zelko we want to just thank you again for um joining the podcast and um being a part of this discussion your expertise really added a lot so thank you pleasure to be here thanks for the invitation thank you awesome so um i'm hank i'm wesley I'm Allie. And I'm Patrick. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep your passion for management ignited. Stay curious, stay inspired, and join us next time as we make management make sense. See you next time.